pain is some serious business. It ain't everyone who knows what to do about it. Now I hear there's a podcast just about this. It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So I suggest you tune in to Outsmart the Pain and listen to what Karsten has to say about it. Get ahead. Get it done. Listen to the podcast and maybe change your life or someone else's. Hi, and welcome to Outsmart the Pain and this episode Explaining the Pain. I'm Karsten Albeck, a pain physician who wants to share my knowledge and experience with you. You know, one in five people have persistent pain. So if you have pain and feel alone with this, because many people do, you are not. In Sweden, there would be two million people with persistent pain. In the US, there would be like 60 million. Most people call long-term pain chronic. Since the word chronic often says that it is irreversible, we would rather like to call it persistent pain. In Swedish, it is långvarig smärta instead of kronisk smärta. The thing is, many professionals I talk to say it should be called persistent and they persist in calling it chronic. But I will call it persistent throughout this podcast and it is the same thing as chronic. So now you know. I will get back on this persistent thing, but for a better understanding, I will now go through the pain system we have as a whole. It will be explained in the same way I explain it to my patients, and since the feedback has been only positive, I will stick to it. Now, a part of this explanation would be to draw a very simple image of the brain. It's hard to draw it in a podcast, and I can't expect that every listener bought my book either. I will do my very best to explain it accordingly, but for your support, I have included it on my webpage karstenalbeck.com under the podcast menu. Here I will add some useful stuff to my talks, and if you're driving, please do not look that up right now, but do it later, as a repetition or something. Now just relax and listen. You will now get three types of pain explained. Let's say you fall from a bike and hurt your knees, scraping them real bad. The pain you get tells you either not to get back on the bike immediately or to be a better biker next time. If you break a leg, have had surgery or just got muscle soreness after exercising, you can get that type of pain, which in gibberish is called nociceptive pain. It's also called tissue pain, and when I explain it to my patients, I simply call it muscle, skeletal and joint pain to make it easier to grasp. This definition of my own does not really include other forms of tissue pain like inflammatory pain, but it's good enough to use for my patient meetings. So, one type of pain is the muscle, skeletal and joint pain. Another type is neuropathic or nerve pain. This can be a little bit trickier to understand. First of all, since nerves transmit all senses we have, would not all pain be considered being nerve pain? Well, no. Because we are not talking about working nerves doing their job, but nerves which are damaged in some sense. And this damage could be central or peripheral. 
central meaning inside the brain, for instance after a stroke or during an MS disease. Peripheral meaning any nerve outside the brain, could be a completely cut nerve after an amputation, or badly functioning nerves along with diabetes, where you maybe also don't feel your feet properly, a so-called polyneuropathy. It can be hard to diagnose nerve pain because there is no imaging which can prove you have pain coming from a nerve. An MRT scan can look perfectly normal and someone is still describing a typical nerve pain very accurately. And sometimes a doctor might wonder how much pain this person must have with a back showing all those changes on an x-ray and there is actually no pain at all. A lab test can show if you have a vitamin B deficiency or that you drink too much alcohol. Two conditions we know can worsen nerve pain, but it does not prove that you have pain. The characteristics of your pain does not prove anything either. Even if you describe your pain as shooting, burning fire, walking on glass, running ice cold water down your leg or something else, it is not proof it comes from a defective nerve. For example, if you have a soccer player falling on the ground due to muscle cramp, although I think they sometimes fall just because the referee is close enough, but that's not really important, is it? Anyway, they might describe it as burning like fire. But in this case, we know it is 100% muscle pain, right? Since nerves have a distinct area of the body they are in charge of, a defective nerve can make pain in that whole area. Often, the nerve has a so-called representation of the skin, meaning that if you have, for instance, a disc hernia affecting the lumbar disc number 4, you would have pain or numbness below your knee on the same side as your big toe. Not your arm, not your hip, not the outer side of your leg. But then you could have a pain in this area because of other reasons too. So it can be a bit harder to know exactly where the pain is coming from as opposed to tissue pain. If you are interested in seeing which areas of the skin that are represented by these nerve levels, you can go to my webpage and look for the notes on this episode of Outsmart the Pain. So now we have talked about two types of pain. The nociceptive pain, also called tissue pain, or in my words muscle, skeletal and joint pain. The other type is neuropathic or nerve pain. Why should we know the difference then? I mean, pain is pain, right? Of course not. What did you think? I will only touch on this very briefly in this episode, but if we talk pharmacology, that is like pills, the medication for the tissue pain is something completely different than for nerve pain. For tissue pain, you have for instance, paracetamol or acetaminophen, anti-inflammatory drugs, muscle relaxants, and opioids like morphine, which could work. None of these meds will help for nerve pain. And for nerve pain, not too many drugs have actually been developed against pain, but science found out that some substances worked for pain too. Therefore, it might seem a bit odd, but the best drugs we have against nerve pain are antidepressants and anti-epileptics. 
That means that medicine, which was made for depression, also might work for nerve pain, regardless of you being depressed or not. I have many patients who said they were offered an antidepressant, but said, I did not take it because I'm not depressed. Well, dear listener, now you know more than many why these tablets are being offered. Also, there are anti-epileptics which originally were made against epilepsy, but work against nerve pain. Also, if you use TENS, transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation, which is small patches put on the skin and a weak electrical current is being sent through them, if you have a tissue pain in the thigh, you probably put the patches right onto the hurting area. If you have the same thigh with pain, but now a nerve pain, putting an electrical current in the middle of it may make things a bit uh, more hurtful. You do not destroy anything, but it hurts, so you do not want to use that method again. But what you should have done is to put the patches a bit away from that area, or maybe on your lower back, or even on the opposite thigh. So before you get pain treatment, you really need to know which type of pain it is. Now, here comes something really important. Listen carefully. With explaining these different types of pain, it really means that intensity has nothing to do with treatment. Listen again. Intensity has nothing to do with treatment. Let's say you go to the doctor and you say, uh, doctor, I have a sore throat and the doctor examines you and sees that you have a bacterial tonsillitis. So you will get antibiotics. And then you tell the doctor, but doctor, my throat really, really hurts a lot. And the doctor says, okay, I will give you a lot more antibiotics and stronger too. Now, you know it doesn't work that way. But in pain, many people, including doctors, tend to think that the more pain, the stronger medication you need. But like I said, if you have tissue pain, anti-inflammatory drugs can help. They will not help in nerve pain, and not even morphine will do, unless you really get high doses, which has other side effects, so to speak. In the nerve pain case, you need antidepressants. Unfortunately, many people have seen the pain ladder, which is just that. More pain, more medication. But it is not accurate. What? Please forget the pain ladder. What? First, find out which type of pain you have. Oh. So, the two types of pain I've talked about are tissue pain and nerve pain and they are more or less working in an acute or emergency system. Now we turn to the third and last type of pain, persistent pain. Now we are actually moving away from the tissue and nerve and talking time. Strange, right? But it has its reasons. If you are looking at the brain picture on my webpage, we have now left the left side and gone to the brain in the middle and later on we will go to the right side. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, uh, bear with me. The definition of persistent pain is having a pain more than three months. The reason for this is not that something happens after 90 days, but when you want to compare groups in research, you need to have clear-cut limits. 
So someone having had pain for at least three months has a persistent pain, and someone who has had pain for three weeks has not. Although there are many good theories out there, we are not completely sure why some people develop persistent pain. Some never get pain-free after surgery, regardless of its being successful or not, so in that case something probably happened early on in the pain system and not after three months. Others, of course, have multiple surgeries and never develop a persistent pain. It's really an enigma, isn't it? Why did I draw the brain in the middle of the picture? Well, just like the eye just letting in light, which is converted to electrical signals transmitted through the optical nerve to your brain, where the image actually is processed and produced, the same goes with pain. The pain is not created in your fracture, it is created in your brain. In a very biological sense, do not confuse this with making up the pain or some other rubbish. So now we are getting into some really interesting brain mechanics, let me tell you. Let's say you have a tissue or nerve pain in your foot. Of course, there is not one single cable running from your foot to your brain. The signal is transmitted via your spinal cord and finally ends up in your brain. Here it passes many different areas which have other functions than processing pain. We do not know why pain needs to pass these areas, but it does. These areas are for instance called the limbic system, the periaqueal gray and hypothalamus. If the brain is fed with this pain day in and day out, sometimes it will just be too much for it to process. It needs to prioritize what it's supposed to process and what not. I think that a hundred thousand years ago the pain system was really really important. If we got hurt it was important we got away to safer place or that animal would eat us. Maybe we didn't even have persistent pain because we did not live that long. The brain was not made for long-term pain, but was on high alert for the acute pain. Nowadays, if we get hurt, we can call an ambulance or make a call to get some good advice from a healthcare line. But the pain system is still as active as it always has, and now it can continue for a longer time, because we did not die being food for the lion. So even if we logically can understand that the pain I have today does not differ from the pain I had yesterday or last week, our primitive part of the brain does not understand this. If it feels like a knife, it probably is a knife and you need to get alerted. This means that when the brain needs to prioritize what to handle when it gets overwhelmed, it will not downgrade pain. It will keep pain right at the top where it thinks it should be, always ready to tell you it hurts. Instead, it will downgrade other functions that these different areas in the brain have. Therefore, just because of a biological priority in the brain, some functions will not work as before and someone with persistent pain will change. The most common things they discover is that they have problems concentrating, they forget things, they get less sex drive, they can't sleep, and their mood changes. They more easily get angry or even depressed. 
I will have a separate episode talking about persistent pain, how it works and how to treat it, so here I will just touch on it very briefly. But the thing is, persistent pain can change your personality and this is not imagination or you're getting crazy, although your surrounding and finally you yourself think so. It's a real biological change that's occurring in your brain. It's not destroying anything, it's just prioritizing. When your pain gets better, these things will get better too. But, if these changes also persist for some time, they can actually become bigger issues than pain itself. Many times when I ask patients who come for pain treatment what their biggest problem is, it's not pain anymore. It's sleep or maybe an anger issue. It can be economical problems because of not being able to work, and so on. So even if I could make the pain go away with a Harry Potter wand, these other things will not. Therefore you also understand that there is no magic pill against persistent pain because of its complex nature. Many people can start their path to a better life just by knowing what to do, but some need help from the healthcare system, what we usually call a pain rehabilitation. So, even if your pain started with a very obvious reason, a tissue or nerve damage for example, if the pain has become persistent, the characteristics of the pain become more uh, foggy. It can feel just like in the beginning, the thigh hurts just like when you first hit it in the car accident, but now the medication does not help anymore. How is this possible? Well, now we turn to the third part of the pain system. But first, a 20 second repetition. Listen to this. We have an acute pain system, being tissue or nerve pain. We have a brain which processes pain that might need to prioritize different functions if it's being overwhelmed, and pain will unfortunately be prioritized. The brain wants to warn you, but it actually wouldn't need to. The third part, the right side for you who are following my drawn image is actually a system called the pain filter. It's something we all have and it's supposed to filter out unnecessary pain. Let's say you're cordially invited to one of my lectures. Suddenly I slap you because I'm crazy. You get a pain, look at me, understand that I'm kind of strange and you leave the lecture after doing that eye for an eye thing. The brain has warned you about me, but you do not need to keep the pain to get reminded after a year or so of my somewhat dubious lecture techniques. So the pain filter takes care of that. Now then, if you have pain which is there constantly, every day, this system can become fatigued. It cannot withstand all pain signals, like a net not catching herrings anymore because they can escape through the mesh which has become larger. How is this noticed by the person having persistent pain? First of all, the pain is spreading. It can start in a knee, but then goes to the hip, the hip on the other side, other joints maybe, muscles, and maybe finally the whole body. I quite often see that healthcare tries to explain this by some kind of uneven load on your body. You have pain in your knee, so you walk strangely and get pain in your hip. Okay. But does this explanation work when you get pain on the upper part of your body, your elbows, finger joints, your neck, etc? 
How awkwardly do you actually walk? Monty Python's silly walk? I think our human body has been developed quite well to withstand small changes in posture, actually. Another thing I sometimes hear is that you measure the length of your legs and find out that one is longer than the other, and this is the cause of your pain. And how long have you had this difference in bone length? Did one side suddenly grow or the other side shrink and therefore giving you pain? Hmm, I don't think so. The reason pain is spreading is that the overall pain inhibition system in the body does not work. The pain has started with something very real. Sometimes you know what happened and sometimes you don't. The pain has weakened the pain filter and when the tissue or nerve is working properly again, strangely enough, you still have the same pain. This means that the medication or treatments you used in the beginning will not work at this time and you will not even find the reason since it has all been healed. The problem is in the brain and it has nothing to do with imagination. It is a weak pain filter we're dealing with. So what is the pain filter then? Well, the substance is noradrenaline, also named norepinephrine. It is not possible to measure this in humans, so there is no way at this date to find out the levels of pain filter in your body. Again, a short repetition since you are listening and not reading. Listen to this. An acute system can be divided into tissue and nerve pain. The brain processes the pain signals and if you have had pain for a long time the brain works a little bit differently due to prioritization. You may have problems concentrating, you forget things, get worse sleep and your mood can get affected too. When you have had pain for three months or longer it is called persistent pain. One of the things changing too is what I call the pain filter. This is a noradrenaline driven system which is supposed to protect us from unnecessary pain. If pain is there long enough this system can weaken, making pain persist although everything in the body has been healed. This means the pain can spread, your old medication don't work and examination will not reveal anything that's wrong. Another thing with a weak pain filter, apart from getting a pain which is spreading, is that you experience that it's jumping. One day you have pain in your right shoulder, the next day the left leg, although you haven't really done anything special. If your healthcare professional is not familiar with the system I am telling you about, he or she might think that there is something wrong with you, because there are no nerve systems that change sides overnight. But as you understand, this is not strange at all for anyone being familiar with pain and the pain system and who has met lots of patients with persistent pain. The longer time with pain, the less use you have of working with the acute side of pain. That is, the ordinary medication like anti-inflammatory drugs or even opioids, they will not help with the pain. This is the reason why the World Health Organization, WHO, classifies persistent pain as a disease of its own and not only a symptom of something else. Pain is the disease and needs to be treated accordingly. So then, how do you treat persistent pain then? I will have a separate podcast, well, actually more than one, taking a look at treating persistent pain, but I can give you two ways right now.
The first one is an excellent treatment with no side effects. It's also inexpensive, might even increase your social skills. Hmm, it's called exercise. Don't worry that it hurts a bit in the beginning. It's like opening an old creaking door for the first time in a long time. Or a car that hasn't been started for a while. It will hurt in your body in the beginning, but please trust me. In the long run, it will be much, much better. There are studies showing that the pain threshold gets higher for people with persistent pain when they exercise. There is even some evidence showing that the closer of the hurting part of the body that you exercise, the better. That is, if your knee hurts, this is actually the thing you should use more. But actually, I would not use the word exercise because it brings so many feelings about something being overwhelming. And if you start with high expectations, buying a membership at the gym and so on, and then fail, it will be much harder to start again. No, instead of exercise, I would simply call it activity. Start really slow with something which might even feel silly. If you walk 10 minutes each day, try 15 and don't overdo it. If you decided on 15 minutes, then stop after 15. Don't do 30 or 45 and get so much pain you regret everything. No, the key here is daily consistency. It is much, much better to do 5 extra minutes every day than 30 minutes extra once a week. There are some suggestions for activity on my webpage as well. And don't forget that activity is not only physical. You need to socialize, you need to use your brain, being mentally active. That is also activity and it also helps persistent pain. Activity is the first thing which will strengthen your pain filter. The other thing I will tell you about today is medication, which increases the noradrenaline. Listen to this. Now, don't fall into the trap that medication is the easy way out. It can help. But during the time you are better, you must change the rest of your behavior to get better, get more active. Otherwise, you will get your pain back after a while, even though you are taking your medication. So, if you use it, start using the medication and while you have less pain, start the activity. So when you taper down the medication, you will still have a functioning pain inhibition system in your body. The medication which increases noradrenaline is, guess what, antidepressants. The same sort which helps against nerve pain if you remember. Not all antidepressants help, some only increase a substance called serotonin, but we need to increase noradrenaline. And again, this has nothing to do about depression or anxiety, but is a painkiller. I would really like to call them noradrenaline increasing pain medication instead. So, there you have a very simple but effective way to understanding the pain system, making it easier to know what happens with the body and brain during persistent pain and what to do about it. I will come back in later episodes and talk about this more in detail. If you have any questions, please drop me a line at info at and I will do my best to answer. 
If you want to know more about my podcasts and other pain-related activities from my side, please visit karstenalbeck.com and join my email list. No spam, I promise. And of course, make sure to subscribe to Outsmart the Pain. Be well and prosper.